Welcome back to Hire, everybody. The podcast where we help you reach higher in your career and learn with and from experts in recruitment, marketing, entrepreneurship, and many more about what it takes to become a leader in your dream industry. But first, hit that beat, Tom Zamzel. Um, how does the healthcare system in this country work? Good question, Tom. What about payroll? When is that coming in? I don't know. Whom do I talk to for talent development? I don't know. What about planning that talent pipeline to keep the top talent streaming into the company? I still don't know. Well, who does, Nikki? Human resources! Yawn. Take it back, it's fascinating. Do enlighten us. Human resources plays a critical part in any corporate's operation. They are the glue that holds the ship together. You need people skills, communication skills, project management skills, organizational behavioral skills, and you get to help both the company and its employees thrive. If done right. Yes, if done right. That's why today we have Ben Brooks on the show, founder and CEO of Pilot, telling us about what a career in HR looks like and how you can forge one for yourselves. But before we dive deep into this episode, stop what you're doing, pause the track and follow us on Instagram at Go Hire Podcast. The link is below. We're done. Grand. Let's go get it. We've got Ben Brooks in the virtual studio. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Ben, for joining us. Now, um, we have told the audience in the show notes a little bit about yourself, but we would love to hear from you um, in your own words. Who are you and where have you come from? So give us your elevator pitch, but make it a bit longer. So let's say we're going to go up the Eiffel Tower. Okay. Up the Eiffel Tower. We'll, we'll take the local rather than the express. That's um, it. Look. Glad to be here, and um, I think what you all are doing is is really important. Uh, it very much aligns with kind of you know a lot of um, my journey and what I stand for in the world and what I value around people taking control of their lives and navigating their careers and finding happiness and satisfaction, which has sort of been part of my uh, journey. And you know, as, as uh, we were even preparing for this show, I, I, I thought about you know just all of the twists and turns of my careers that have been unexpected. Um, I often, you know, talk uh, uh, about, you know, the adventure. This, you know, my career has definitely been an adventure. It's not been this deliberate thing I plotted when I was 20 years old in university. And here was <laughs> step one, two, three, four, five. It's it's gone in ways I could have never imagined. But I I live in New York. I'm an entrepreneur. I've worked in industries like defense and rental cars and insurance, and had uh, really great experience working in corporate HR. And um, it's been a wild time to live in New York City the last uh, 12 months and um, just really passionate about talking about careers. So that's me. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, Ben. That's great. I think we're going to get to know you a little bit more throughout the podcast for sure. Now, you are going to hold, withhold a little bit of your tips and your tricks. So we want you to keep three of them till the end so people can listen all the way and make sure that they get those to take away at the end of the show. Okay, so don't give them away during the show. All right. (laughs) Okay, you got to earn it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Ben Brooks, the man of many hats, we we think. Um, We talk a lot about transferable skills and the job market, making people change not only jobs, but careers multiple times. You know, I have done it myself. Tom's doing the same right now so you have also you know made a huge career out of HR skills um can you tell us a bit of your core skill set that helped you to do that and how you navigated it and what you used from the skills that you brought from previous experiences yeah you know I, I got a degree in marketing and then leadership studies uh, and when I went to, to university and the funny thing is I've had, you know, no jobs that were explicitly marketing jobs, but there was a way that marketing strategy, you know, I learned to really taught me how to think about how to package and communicate ideas, how to influence people, how to get people excited, you know, how to control a narrative. And so there's a lot on the communications side that's been pretty important, but I think one of the things that I didn't realize until the last few years is that probably one of my my strongest strengths that I've developed over time is the ability to learn and to learn things that maybe I've never heard of or have any exposure to. 
uh, and to, to, you know, to, to kind of have the humility to start from the bottom and to be curious and to not worry about looking good. I think a lot of the um, expert or the information economy that we've been in a period of, you know, in workforces, you know, we tend to get to a certain place of, of expertise and we're known as the, the woman or the man with the answers and to, to be the expert in the room and to be definitive and to be clear and really to be a learner is, is to be open. It's not to purport to know anything. And so I think that's one of the things that really allowed me to walk into HR without an academic background necessarily in HR prior experience, but, but the curiosity and the willingness to learn. And that's been a big part of um, what I found to be a very important success factor in, uh, in being an entrepreneur as well. I really this I love this point so much. I really cannot overstate the importance of being um, a learner, a continuous learner. It almost sounds like this like it's a bit of a washed out phrase, especially in corporate, where it's like you need to be in charge of your own career development, learn nonstop, do all of these things. But um, to our audience members, I want to say, don't let the fact that you hear this all the time scare you off. Take it as social proof, especially now coming from Ben as well, that you have to do it and you have to do it by yourself. Look for these opportunities. Um, but before we dive deeper into what it means to work in human resources and what our listeners should know about a good HR function when they take any job, let me ask you a little something naughty. We have people on the show, like yourself as the founder and CEO of Pilot Inc., that seemingly have that dream career all sorted out for them, but nobody's path is free of bumps. So could you take us into your memory bank a little bit and tell us um, about a struggle, a hurdle in your career and how you've overcome it? Yeah, I mean, I've had many, um, and I think sometimes it's been, you know, working for a manager that I haven't really gotten along with or, or clicked with, or it's been in a role where I didn't really have the skills to su succeed and needed to learn and grow. And I think a lot of it is about, you know, really taking stock and, and being, you know, both kind of self and situationally aware, right? So knowing kind of what's going on inside of me and knowing the context or environment I'm in and making changes as a result. You know, I was on a, a program early in my career that was a big defense contract that got canceled. You know, our, our program director was in front of Congress testifying. It was a defense contract. And um, I had to, to look quickly at what I was going to do. I worry about having a job. I'd only worked there a year or so um, and was able to, to pitch to work in an entirely different type of function internally uh, because, you know, I had to, to respond quickly and I, you know, picked up the phone and started, you know, reaching out and advocating for myself and essentially invented a job. And that was one of, I think, I remember I was you know, 23, 24 years old. And that was one of the first times I kind of had this realization that jobs can be created, that they're not always these really formal things that live on a job posting website or in an HR system or database. And so that was the first of many different instances of me creating my own job and uh you know the best jobs that i ever had frankly for the most part were the ones that i created and that was something that i think most people just think of you know job opportunities a bit like looking at a, a menu on a restaurant right that, that you know you think of oh here's the things that are available that i can pick from um but in reality you can create your own dish and i think that's been was a was a big, you know, you know, insight from a situation where I thought it was I've been issued a it's called a warn notice in the United States. There's a labor law. If companies are going to lay off a bunch of people. They have to, you know, let you know in advance. It's called, you know, the acronym is W A R N. They warn you essentially that you could lose your job, and that was a great uh, impetus to get that heads up to take different action. And as a result, I I just always knew from then on that um, I could be a lot more creative in you know defining what a job looked like yeah again it kind of goes back to learning constantly learning and, and growing yourself because i think many people just go into a job and stay there and they think that's it but you know you have to think of other ways for you to be useful for the company as well find solutions that they need fixing um there's many opportunities that we've been both of us myself and tom have done as well you know trying to find the solutions for the company that that they maybe sometimes they didn't even know they needed and I think that's an important point as well um let's dive in like Dom, Tom said into working in in HR in-house so we want to talk a little bit further about that and how the differences are in-house compared to what you're doing now um but but to start with in in ideal world what does the human resource function do if they do their job well 
Well, it's a, it's a great question. I think if you, you know, had a, a large multinational of, you know, 20 or 50,000 employees and you asked everyone, what should HR's job do? What, you know, what you probably would get as many answers as you'd have people. Um, there's a wide uh, opinion set. And it's part of what sometimes sets HR up to fail is a misaligned set of expectations. And historically, HR really, you know, was a, a function that grew out of kind of personnel management and, um, you know, in the United States, at least, you know, we had, you know, labor unions and contracts and things. And so it was, you know, really designed to help, you know, control cost and reduce risk. And that's, you know, what HR has largely been rewarded on and built around. And that's not something that most people understand in organizations say, no, shouldn't HR be my, my, my friend or my advocate or my career advisor or my problem solver? And, you know, really HR, historically, you know, it's really the, the obligation HR has is not to the employees, but to the, the employer, to the, to the organization. And, that, and that's a big uh, thing for, for folks to understand. I think increasingly, you know, HR has, has started to really shift in the last, you know, five to, to 10 years to be more of a driver of an organization um, rather than kind of just a, a necessary kind of function um, looking at how organizations can be more competitive in the kind of service and information economies, you know, talent is a big driver of success in many organizations. So how do we, you know, attract and, and have the right people? How do we, you know, engage them and, and develop them and grow them? And how do we retain them? And, you know, there, there's, you know, a, a big, especially with remote and virtual work, um, you know, people can, it's, the switching cost for employees has never been lower to switch companies. They just plug in a different laptop at their home office. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a pretty easy thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the stakes for HR are high. And, you know, even last Friday, I talked to a, a, a gentleman who works at a top recruiting firm uh, for heads of HR at multinational companies. And he said, you know, he's had many HR searches in the last six months uh, for heads of HR that uh, replacing existing ones that they felt during the pandemic didn't really step up enough to help drive the business. And so some of those folks have been asked to retire or leave the organizations because the, you know, the, the organizational leaders now are viewing HR more and more at the center of everything an organization does. So, Ben, I love what you've just said. Um, the HR function in its original design is there to support the company in its um, controlling consistency, cash flow and talent retention. I think therein lies a wonderful nugget of wisdom as well, because you as an employee, as a job seeker, you need to be aware of this um, fact and leverage it, right? Talent acquisition and retention, they're both uh, key performance indicators for that function. And talent acquisition and exchange of uh, people that work for you comes at a cost, right? So the human resource function will try to find the right people and they will try to keep them. So use that to your advantage. It means that you're allowed to ask for certain things. It's a lot that you, uh, it means that you're allowed to ask for questions to make sure that the company makes you happy and wants to keep mm -hmm. you as well. But as a follow-up question to Nikki's, actually, what do you see the today's human resources function get wrong all the time to the detriment of employees? Well, I think, you know, as, as I answer this, I'll caveat, you know, the, the HR function versus the HR people that populated the professionals, um, it's important to distinguish that because you've got a lot yeah. of really well-meaning people working in HR. Mm -hmm. Doing, trying to do their best, trying to drive change, but sometimes they're a part of structures or systems or dynamics that are, that are dysfunctional, right? And so it's easy to sort of pile on and beat up HR for, you know, but, uh, but oftentimes, you know, the people in HR are really, they understand and they're trying to do the right thing and are held back sometimes by forces bigger than what the function can handle. And to the, the question kind of what is, what is HR missing, you know, right now is, you know, I, I think that there's there's a lot of things, and I think a, a big part of it is oftentimes you've got HR focused around how to create, you know, controls and rules and policies to manage the worst employees, right? People that might steal from an organization or people that mm -hmm. behave poorly and, you know, sexually harass an employee or mm -hmm. that, you know, just don't do their jobs. And those things are necessary, right? Because, you know, from a fairness and legality perspective, you have to figure out how to handle those things. But I think that the, the big opportunity that HR misses is 
how do you help the best people? Mm -hmm. Because the majority of people in the organization, you've got, you know, you've got a, a few people that are typically not great and you have to handle those. And then you've got quite a few people who are excellent. And then, you know, the large majority of people who are like sort of good enough or adequate, but probably with a little nudging could be excellent. And so I think that this focus on how does HR, if HR could help people become a better, bigger version of themselves to really tap into their unfulfilled potential. We talk a lot about in HR performance. We talk a lot less about potential, right? Mm -hmm. Growing employees into more capable uh, individuals and adults and, and leaders. And so I think that's really what I often call the upside of HR. And that's, you know, really tapping to that potential. And really the, the, the metric, you know, that I sometimes talk about is return on people, ROP. You know, there's in, in finance, there's often, you know, return on investment or return on invest, uh, invested capital, ROIC. But ROP, I think, is sort of the, you know, the, the, the total amount of sort of performance or output divided by the total people expense, which includes, you know, salaries and benefits and training and HR and everything. And I think sometimes we've tried to really control just how much we spend on people mm -hmm. rather than optimize for how much people, you know, the output and the, the impact, which sometimes spending just a little bit more, it's a very good return on investment because you spend a dollar and it turns into $10 or spend a, you know, a euro and it turns to 10 euros. Or, and so I think that's what's, what's exciting about HR in the future is a function that really can help bring the best out of people rather than a function that's helping to deal with people when they're at their worst. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about retention there as well, performance, there's all these things that are key words that, you know, we look at in, in companies and, and I think there's many ways to think about that. And and I want to talk a little bit about the workplace and how that affects it. So obviously mm -hmm. now we're in COVID time still, so there's a lot of working from home, which has its own issues, right? But if you think about it back before, uh, the changes, the trends, all the things that happen in the workplace, it changes quite a lot, especially in the, in the recent years. You have hot desks, you've got open plan offices, which we all hate. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's all these things that, that the company are trying to do to help people to stay there. But can you give us a bit more info into that and, and how you think the workplace may be in the future? Yeah, there's a lot of talk about, quote unquote, the future of work. What does work fundamentally look like? And we've certainly seen, you know, in the last 10 years, sort of the quote unquote gig economy, right? Where people are, yeah. mm -hmm. whether they're driving an Uber or they're renting out their apartment on Airbnb mm -hmm. or they're doing freelance graphic design work on, on Upwork or other things like that, that there's been a big change in work, that work isn't necessarily just a full-time job at an office, right? There's these things that people can do to supplement their incomes. And for people, sometimes working parents and maybe people that are older or younger, the, the flexibility that those things afford can be wonderful. Um, although some of those structures can also really take advantage of people uh, in ways that, um, you know, they would benefit more from, from sort of a full employment or job sort of perspective. But a lot of the future work people talk about, oh, the robots are going to take over and they're going to take all the jobs. And you know, uh, you know, robots are good at welding a door on a car. Um, you know, robots uh, are, are, are good at highly repeatable known if-then relationships and tasks. But there's all this chat about AI and machine learning and virtual reality and augmented reality. And, you know, there's, you know, uh, software that tries to help schedule meetings that's done by robots and it doesn't work. And if you can't schedule a meeting, I don't know how you're going to make a complex business decision, how you're going to resolve an interpersonal conflict, right? So I don't think the future of work is, is robots taking over, but I do think the future of work is a lot more self-directed work. In particular, people are remote. You don't have the structure and the influence of an office or a manager who's three desks down that's going to stop by and check in on you, right? That people as professionals will have to be a lot more self-managed. And that is a huge shift, right? But the know when to ask for help. They're going to have to know when to organize their time and to set priorities and how to set boundaries. You know, even these tools that are meant to support collaboration like Slack, 
Many people tell me that Slack is one of the worst parts of working in their organization, <laughs> and not because Slack in and of itself is, is, a, is a bad tool. It's, it, there's a lot of goodness in it. But what happens is organizations implement it in a way that has people constantly distracted and feeling like they're sort of on demand to all of their other colleagues, and they never can really focus, and they're context switching all the time. So the future of work is going to require people like that in those situations to find better ways to communicate and to work asynchronously and to maintain, you know, focus and flow. And those are things that, you know, historically organizations have sort of figured out structures to do some of that, whereas a lot of that responsibility and burden is going to move to the individual. So what it's going to take to be successful as a professional is actually going to be a higher bar than what we've seen in the last 20 or 30 years. I'm 100% in agreement. And we have all suffered under the ravages of the many sort of intranet, comms, portal, new team, Skype, Zoom, Slack implementations yep. that companies tend to run with. It's the same as hot desking, right? It's like the new hot um, item on the menu and all the companies want to have a piece. But you touched on a super critical point, which is you need to be self-determined. A few years ago, I think it started the, the term of intrapreneurship became incredibly trendy and now it's waned a little yep. bit because it was uh, it meant you need to be an uh, entrepreneur in your organization you need to burst out of the silos and bring all of the novelty but this to me means you need to invest in yourself um while you are on the job because literally nobody's going to do it for you any longer and like you said your boss will not no longer be able to lean over your shoulder and tell you yeah just move this graph two pixels to the top left you need to start deciding mm -hmm. to do this for yourself especially in corporate because we love reporting in powerpoint but <laughs> back to the human resources function which you know some of the listeners when they saw the title probably thought yawn next so let's make it a little bit sexy when I started my stint in corporate, I couldn't imagine a more boring and dull function than human resources to work in. I thought they were just um, something of a very hotline and the team that prepared my employment contract for me. But the more I learned about it, the more vital and exciting it eventually became as um, a function that could actually um, you know, uplift my career if I established good relationships with the people that work in it. Because for the most part, like you said earlier, there's good and strong hearts working in human resources. It's a very tough gig. You're squeezed between people and corporate structures. So what are some of the hidden things that you get to do when working in human resources? And what has brought you in particular joy in your career when you worked in corporate HR? Well, the interesting thing about human resources is it's sort of an invitation to get involved in everything, if you want, which is... <laughs> is a double-edged sword because then you could be unfocused. But, you know, every part of an organization, you know, you have an issue with, um, you know, with, uh, you know, performance with a customer, right? Or you're losing sales or you haven't figured out the product or service or there's a financial issue, there's an operational issue, there's a compliance or legal issue. It all gets down to people. And so it really is almost like if you were to think about our, you know, our bodies, right? Um, uh, you know, blood that, you know, circulates all the nutrients and, and helps us live. That That's people, that's HR. It goes everywhere. It mm -hmm. goes all in us and goes all through organizations. And so that's one of the really fun things about HR is unlike a lot of other functions where you may be in IT or in legal or marketing or finance, you know, HR kind of has a remit to look at and be involved in everything. And HR also has a lot of inside information. You know, good HR is at the table of, you know, when big decisions are being discussed and the future is being talked about and they have very intimate and close relationships and often have better information about what's happening and is going to happen in an organization. And so, you know, I, I, I shared, you know, your view that, you know, it was uh, not a very sexy or desirable place to be because I always thought of it was you know, getting, you know, getting paychecks out the door and dealing with the worst employees and writing, you know, policy manuals and handbooks. And those <laughs> things are all need to happen, right? I, you know, I, I, I run a company now, we got to have all those things. They're important things. Um, but what, what I think people, you know, look at in the future is you look at a company like Amazon, right? That's growing so fast. Like they've got to be really thoughtful about where they build their next office uh, or their next distribution center to make sure that there's enough employees with the skills that they need. And that's a part that HR plays, right? And they've got to make sure that they keep enough of them, you know, and they've got to look at these larger trends. You know, we've, you know, big in the United States, there's been a bunch of um, energy around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the last year, in particular after George Floyd's murder last summer. 
And, you know, it's a, it's a time where HR has to be uh, very thoughtful and very agile and, and responsive. And, you know, employees are getting a bigger and bigger voice uh, internally and, than they've ever had. And so it's, you know, again, there's so much that's exciting because these are not straightforward problems. These are, these are complex problems. Um, and if people become good at it, I mean, it, good HR people are hard to find. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great time to be in HR right now. And I think that's not going to change in the future. I think that it's going to be a, a great field for people to work in. Well, now we're all excited about working in HR. Yeah, this is good. great. <laughs> no, thank you so much for that insight. It's really, it is, you know, gives us another layer to HR, especially. Um, but what we wanted to do is find out a little bit, I guess, a bit more oversimplified question. But what do you have to study to have a career in HR? And what profiles do you look for in the, as a function of HR? Yeah, there's certainly, you know, people that are that are eight, that are recruiters for people in HR that, that probably even know even more. But I will say is a, an emerging trend is there are certain people that get a um, industrial labor relations talk about a horrible, you know, uh, you know, field of study name, right, for HR. Uh, but there's like in the United States, you know, Cornell and, and, and an extraordinary institution, you know, is one of the, the better known programs for a field like that. Uh, and there are certainly people that get into HR because they go study that. Uh, in university, right, or they get a graduate degree, but uh, that that wasn't my path. And increasingly, a lot of people coming into HR come from you know STEM and STEAM backgrounds, where they've uh, got you know you know more quantitative or uh, logic driven or kind of you know process and operational driven. A lot of people come from from sales or even operations uh, into HR. Uh, I think that, that certain people will, you know, kind of blindly say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good with people. And that's always a way that HR people laugh um, because the, the, the gregarious, you know, friendly extrovert uh, often doesn't necessarily make a great HR person because it's not about just getting <laughs> along with colleagues, right? There's tough decisions you have to make. You have to be strategic. And it's a little like someone applying for a social media manager position and saying, well, I have, I have a Facebook account, therefore I'm, I'm qualified to, to manage social media, right? Um, and so, you know, it, you know, I think, you know, really coming in with some sort of expertise outside of HR, I think whether it's quantitative, right, um, you know, whether it's in, in effective sort of communications, uh, you know, in, in marketing or, or business strategy, uh, really can make an HR candidate, um, you know, more diversified. You know, there are things I went to the Human Capital Institute and I got my human capital strategist certification and my strategic workforce planning certification. And I went to a lot of conferences. So I, again, took the reins and started to learn HR pretty quickly. Uh, but what I brought was a Lean Six Sigma, you know, process background or a marketing wow. degree or the fact that I had worked in management consulting and I had a really excellent consulting toolkit where I could frame and structure work and, you know, manage, you know, projects that were complex and drive change. And those things are very important that don't always neatly tie up to one academic field of study, but they're very transferable skills that uh, become extremely important in HR. I love this point a lot, especially because we, um, you know, we also have career starters on the show with us. And we've spoken lots in the past about try and when you go try and apply for it when you're going to a new field and you're trying to apply for jobs and it see what skill sets you already have so if you talk about human resources for example two very strong markers that you will have to bring is you need to have experience with people yes because that is one half the coin but you also will have to be able to operate in a structure that has to abide by certain rules and certain processes that govern the behavior of those people that you're in charge of so you need to be able to marry the two so does that mean that you have um, as a career starter, um, been in a leading position in your local sports club, for example, where you had to be in charge of scheduling, maybe promotions, but also organize all of the people and get them fitted for their uniform to play sports for the local team. So all of these things, be mindful of them when you think about going into, especially when you want to beeline into a career path like this. Um, but can I make one quick point on that? Because I think that's a great Make as many points as you'd like. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes people will talk about teams or organizations like as a family, which is often very unhealthy because, you know, you, you have a family, it's sort of this lifelong bond and you tolerate a lot of dysfunction potentially. And, um, and, and really, you know, good teams and organizations are much more like a sports team, right? You're there to do a thing, which is to win. And sometimes that means players are not going to play, right? They'll be on the bench or, 
uh, or they're injured, right? Or they uh, get traded to another team, you know, depending on, or they go down to kind of a minor league to prepare. And those are, I think, some of the tougher moments to navigate in HR is it's not just, you know, asking everyone what they want to do and have it be this fun, you know, create your own career. It's like, hey, if we've, if we've got to, you know, play a, a game by a particular set of parameters or rules and win, um, that can require some tough choices. And I think that HR is often sort of divided into three segments. Um, people think of HR as this big monolithic thing, but there's kind of the, the HR operations, which there's a lot of things around, you know, someone goes out on maternity or paternity leave and they're, you know, uh, someone, you know, is terminated and there's paperwork or there's, you know, the payroll and things. There's a lot of stuff in the operations bucket. Then there's a big bucket of sort of the, the HR business partner. And that's the person that is, it's almost like a primary care physician, right? They, they know a lot about medicine in a broad swath, but they're not a particular expert, but they know enough and they work with an organization leader and their team to figure out kind of what do they need for hiring or for training or for engagement or deployment or whatever it may be. And then there's the centers of expertise, the COEs, which are the functions within HR that are more like in the medical term, like a specialist, right? So if the HR business per partner is the, the primary care physician, the specialist is the, the person that's the, the, you know, the eye doctor or the surgeon or the, you know, uh, in, internist in, in different ways that knows particular things. So they may know recruiting really well. They may know compensation and benefits, or they may know diversity and inclusion or learning or people analytics. And so these are, you know, these expertise, even the employee relations side. And so those are kind of different things where the operations, you're, you're high volume, got to have a lot of accuracy, got to be efficient, right? The business partner, very relational focused, right? And they're creating a very close partnership and a trusted relationship with their internal clients. And the COEs, the expertise, they're really kind of subject matter experts and bringing a lot of content and programs and design to things. So very different paths based upon what people's skills and interests are as they go into HR. I love how you mentioned family there, especially with sport. I often used to upset me a lot when, you know, especially in hockey, it was a family thing. And it's much more than that. Like you said, it's like we're going for a goal. We've got to be professional about things. It's it's much more than that. And you have to make very difficult decisions, especially our coaches or management, all of those things. So it's really, really a nice uh, thing you said there about about family. Um, we want to get into the next part of our podcast. It's more about um. HR helping to navigate your career and being an employee. So every employer is different, right? And we talk about, we we work in a global company and, and we're in Switzerland, but this, it's very different in every company. Even with the glo global organization within every location is different, right? So we need to figure out that a little bit more. And I guess with being an employee, how you navigate that is something we are always asking. Um, and before you even go into the company and you, before you even got an interview, what are the types of things that you can look at to find and ensure that the company is right for you? And then how you'll navigate after that is, is probably the important question as well. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, really figuring out, you know, the, the environment before you get there. And then once you're there, how do you succeed? Right. And you know, obviously... Yeah. Better to avoid environments that are really hard to succeed in in the first place than have to figure out how to succeed once you're there. So exactly. I think there's a, an important sorting function. And I think one of the biggest mistakes, and I talk a lot about this with my executive coaching clients, is people will go start to look for jobs somewhere, and then they compare opportunities. And so they'll have, you know, something at, you know, you know four or five organizations, they're applying to different jobs, and they'll come say, hey, Ben, what, what do you think? And it's a really it's an apples to pineapples comparison because we're comparing a big company or a small company or we're comparing a, you know, a job where you have a commute versus a job that you work remotely. And it's very difficult to compare these objects. And so a better strategy is really, you know, before you worry about the organization or the employer is to really start with yourself and define your criteria that rather than comparing opportunities, you evaluate opportunities against a yardstick or a, a, you know, I guess a meter stick that you define for yourself. And so those are the things that, you know, when I've worked with clients, they say, hey, here are the things that are really important to me. And those things, by the way, are going to change. You talk to someone who's had children, what they wanted of a career might look different before or after children. 
right? You talk to someone who's um, not reached a level of economic security or, or stability, um, that money may be very important, but once they've reached a certain point, it may be less motivating, right? Or it may be less important. Uh, and so, you know, those things can really differ. And so it's really to slow down before you look at, you know, is, is if I go work to, at, at Nestle, right? If I go work at Lucent, if I go work at Standard Charter Bank, and you look at different companies you say, is this a good place for me? Well, it's, it's starting with, well, before I learn about them, let me learn about me and define those things really clearly about what I'm looking for. And then as you start to look at those organizations, you can get the data you need to determine if they have what you're looking for. Which, especially when you're fresh in your career, where you're seeking to transition into a different career path, it's a very iterative process, I would imagine, because you don't necessarily have the bandwidth to realize what it is actually that you are looking for, because you don't even know what to um, what to pick up on if you do your research. So I would say the more that you do this kind of research, you will start to pick up on, okay, cool, so these people have more parental leave, but they have got more general leave, they have got the higher compensation, but also their work hours are higher. Here I can um, expense overtime, here I can't. And this is how you're going to build your portfolio of preference for the right company. Um, but my next question would be, while companies might all be unique, into your mind, what are some of the common features of all of these human resources departments that as an employee, whether you're fresh or longstanding, you should actively lean on and leverage to take charge of your career progression to be self-determined? And more importantly, and very practically speaking, how do you do that? Because asking for things is scary, eh? Yes, it, you know, most people don't want to be told no. And getting what you want in life is requires being willing to go for something with the possibility of being told no. It's mm -hmm. a it's a question for everyone listening to this is to ask yourself when was the last time you were told no, and if it was not recently, you're probably not asking for enough because being told no helps you determine kind of where the line is. And oftentimes we get a no which isn't a hell no. It's a not right now, mm. or it's a, hey, you asked for A, you know, you, you, you asked to, to work, um, you know, remotely 100% of the time, but, you know, we actually need some collaboration in office, but we can figure out a way for you to uh, work remotely three days a week, right? So sometimes you get something that's slightly different, but it also will really help. And so I think that, you know, there, there's, there's kind of what HR sort of offers to the employee value proposition, which like you mentioned, it could be time off, it could be benefits, right? It could be development and training. And it's important to understand and to ask what kind of people get ahead in an organization, right? What kind of people don't succeed or, or fail or ask to leave, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if you're looking, you know, how, you know, if you're looking for a place to work for a long time, uh, you may want to find out how long do people stay there on average. Uh, if it's a company where people come in and out really quickly, that may not be the right place, mm. right? Um, and, and so it's important to suss those things out. But the thing that may surprise folks is the most important part of HR isn't HR. It's really the employee experience is from the manager that you're going to have. Yeah. And there's a, saying, there's a saying in HR, people join organizations or companies and they leave managers. Mm -hmm. True. And the quality of the relationship between you and your manager is the most predictive indicator of how engaged you're going to be, how well you're going to perform, how much you're going to learn, and if you're going to be retained. And so it's important to really vet not just the company. Oftentimes when people are looking at jobs, they say, oh, I'm going to go work at Google and they have all this free food and it's great and the stock is <laughs> on fire. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I get to have a free Android phone and, you know, they get really excited. Right. I get a YouTube premium membership, you know, but but they don't focus as much on on Maria or on Paul or on whoever their their manager is going to be. And they say, hey, like, while I may work for Google, I'm really working for that person. That person has budget and that person has headcount and they are going to choose to use it on me, which means that I need to be doing things for them, for them to be successful and to really understand what those things are and how to have a good relationship, right? Can you jive? 
because there are people that go work at companies that, you know, you, we talk about, you know, right on this podcast that would sound very sexy, really wonderful. And they're not happy because of the manager relationship, no matter what HR provides. Right. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they're able to find a different uh, role internally to work for someone else, but often not. And so really vetting and understanding that manager relationship is, is a, such a critical critical component because and and really making sure that the manager is satisfied with you because you know read um hastings one of the one of the paypal mafia original paypal founders that went on to um go co-found uh, netflix which um, you know hopefully most people have experienced and enjoyed um he has a, 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 a question a question you know that he tells employees to ask their managers they said you know if i quit would you fight to keep me and it's a very important question because in hr there's a term called regrettable attrition and so that's, you know, if someone, if someone resigns from their position, you know, you can say, you know, oh, shucks, or we'll go hire someone new, or you can, you know, go cry and, you know, and go to the, the pub and drink your face, you know, away because you're so sad. The, the latter is regrettable, right? You know, people that you don't want to quit, right? And so it's important that you're in that category for a manager. So, you know, you've got to feel that, you know, they, they are the kind of person is a gem cutter that can shape you. But conversely, they've got to feel that you're critical to their success such that if you were to leave, they would do everything they could to keep you at the organization. Yeah. Um, so, quest, I mean, follow up question, although we're running the risk of running way over time because of it. <laughs> if you, it's more of a, no, it's a command, actually. If you haven't written a book about this just yet, go do it immediately because I will be yeah. your best advocate. This last segment alone was so full of golden nuggets. I might just like chop the rest yeah. and just get this run in an endless yeah. loop. And running the risk myself of taking over this episode, I've experienced so many of the things that you've spoken about in, um, in the past five minutes. Spectacular. So um, I wanted to do a master's, for example, while I was still employed with my last um, with my last private sector organization. I said, do you want to split the bill? And they said, no, process-wise, we can't do that. I said, well, not a problem. Can I have some time off so that I can study and bring in this new network, bring in all of these new relationships? And they said, absolutely, take whatever time you need to take. But that came from my manager. So mm -hmm. again, that relationship is so critical. It's so crucial. This will be your advocate, your social mm -hmm. proof, the person that opens doors for you. So fantastic, your delicious. Your advocate and your person who's going to yeah support you and, mm. and make sure that you're kept in the company. I think we've all had a few of those, which is really important to to manage those uh manage those relationships um we wanted to quickly you know before we finish off talk about your company pilot can you tell us a bit more about it and i will be a little bit sneaky and i will ask what is it in what is in it for companies that work with you and what wisdoms has pilot uncovered for career creating listeners well, Pilot, you know, is really founded. I put my life savings in it to be a company where um, with a mission that everyone feels powerful at work. And people that have worked in HR, you know, typically know at the root of organizational and performance and business problems are people problems. And that when people feel powerful at work, they're able to advocate for themselves. They're able to speak up. They're able to solve some of their own problems, right? They're able to create great partnerships with their, with their managers and, and with others and to communicate effectively. And so Pilot, you know, has taken this idea of career development and we've turned it into a product. And it's a thing that, you know, in most engagement surveys at almost every company I've ever seen their results, which is, you know, hundreds of companies, career development, learning, growth, you know, feedback is always in the top three findings of what employees are dissatisfied with or want more of. And yet traditionally, HR doesn't have good solutions for that, you know, because just sending everyone for a graduate degree or for a, a conference or a training offsite typically doesn't give sustained results. And so HR is very interested in solving this problem because they want engaged people that they can retain as also a form of talent attraction. And so we've combined coaching and mentoring into kind of a next generation kind of group based learning experience around sort of the, the Pareto, the 80-20 of what most, you know, employees need to take their careers to the next level, regardless of what industry they're in or what function or whether they manage people or not. And they do a little bit every week, you know, individual reflection for a few minutes on their smartphone and they get together for group coaching or group mentoring, you know, once or twice a month. Uh, virtually. And so we have an award-winning 
product that really HR cares about because HR wants to, to deliver this career develop and to engage and retain employees. And also really the thing that, that HR is really excited about when they talk to our company is getting employees to truly take ownership of their career and for employees to realize that their career is theirs to manage. You know, that HR and management can help, but employees are really owning more of their development and their career journey. And so that's what I you know, put, again, my life savings in. We're one of the few LGBT-owned um, enterprise software or HR tech companies in the entire world. And wow. uh, we get to work with a lot of diverse uh, chief diversity officers and heads of learning and heads of talent that want to reach more employees and empower them to figure out many of the things that we talked about. And specifically, we have a whole coaching series called Winning With Your Manager. And it's all about treating them like a customer understanding your manager's preferences, your manager's career goals, and people have breakthrough and transformative results when they look at their manager through a different lens that's less about what is my manager doing for me and more about let me take care of them and then they'll take care of me. And that's the psychological contract that our product helps to create for employees. <laughs> that's incredible. It sounds so interesting. Hopefully all our listeners will have a look and, and have a dig into all the all the information you have there on your website as well. Amazing. So much to think about. So many things I'm going to take away for this as well to help my career grow. Likewise. Awesome. But as promised at the beginning, or rather as threatened for you in the beginning and as sneakily teased for our audience, we have asked you to retain three of your most precious top tips for what should somebody start doing the next day that they wake up and go to work immediately after having listened to this episode? Well, I think, you know, uh, threaded through all these is that what you just teed up there, Tom, was just this idea of acting quickly. Um, a lot of times something people will think about their career in a maybe someday, not now way of, oh, when my next performance review comes up or when I'm 30 or when I'm 40 or, you know, when I'm ready to change companies or jobs again. And, you know, the, the tips I'll give you here, you know, I think the key that you pointed to there is are things you should start doing right now, regardless of where you're at in your career. And I think the first thing you mentioned earlier is investing in yourself. And investing in yourself means both kind of monetarily, right? Um, it's something that very few people, professionals do, spend money on their own development investment. I think everyone assumes their organization should pay for it, and organizations pay for some of it. But the people that put some of their own money in, and that can be as simple as Having a headshot that helps you look professional when you're online. It can be um, learning, you know, different training or, or, or coaching. It can be a variety of things. It can be doing a podcast like this. This is all investing in yourself. So that's a, a key thing is to, you know, develop the, the, the time and the resources, which it may cost money. It may not. There's a lot of free things out there. But to really say, like, I am going to take responsibility to invest in myself. So that's, that's, that's my first uh, tip. The second one being, you know, really thinking about your mindset. So much of business and, and success and careers is a psychology. It's a mindset. And so much of what drives our actions and our behaviors is our mindset. And so mindset is a, is a hard thing. You talk about kind of this like conceptual, like how could you put your hands around it? But there's a lot of great things to do whether, you know, I'm a daily meditator, you know, I, I meditate every single day for 20 minutes every morning. I haven't missed a day in five, six, seven years. It's, it's just, a, I've just built it into what I do. Impressive. Some people that's, that's exercise, that's their faith, that's, that's journaling, that's something else. Uh, so, you know, people work with, with therapists. I've worked with a psychologist for years. It's been really, really wonderful. And, um, and so really figuring out how you can kind of control and manipulate your own mind and your own thinking because oftentimes people make, you know, really poor choices in their careers or, or they really miss opportunities because they're really from the inside out, not in really the right mindset. Delicious. And the third, and Tom, can I put one more in the third of one? Of course you can. Um, the, just relationships, sort of double down on relationships. You know, Reed uh, Hoffman, not Reed Hastings we talked about earlier, but a different PayPal mafia guy, Reed Hoffman, <laughs> co-founded LinkedIn, right? So he, and he has a great book called The Startup of You. And he talks about everyone looks for opportunities and opportunities are like a red balloon tied on a red string, but opportunities are always tied to a person. And that balloon is tied around the wrist of an individual. So when you really think you're looking for an opportunity, you're actually looking for a person. 
And this is something that people often do too late in their career. And they often do it only when they really need it in a very transactional way, like they were laid off or they're looking for their next jobs. They start to network or they start to, you know, to meet folks. But really, you know, you know, tending to relationships and in both inside and outside of your organization. You know, sometimes part of what makes HR people really successful is they're they've got a relationship with someone in IT or in procurement or in finance and they know how to get things done because of these relationships or they 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 have relationships with people outside like with vendors or with other peers in HR and other companies and that's where they get great ideas right and those people sometimes call them in the future to say hey we're hiring you know I know you I think you'd be great for this or we're we're doing a conference I'd love for you to speak at it or we're doing a podcast or you know hey you know and, and these are all wonderful opportunities and so I think you know investing in yourself managing your mindset and really you know, investing in relationships, because I think everyone focuses on content, I'm going to go get another certification, mm -hmm. or another degree. But the people that often have the best careers, don't have the most of that, they just have the most close relationships that they've really helped to add value to the other person first, and take care of them. And that's what can make a huge difference. Thank you so much, Ben, this has been amazing. And, and so many things we've touched on already, but you've just brought them clearer again I think um, throughout your podcast so thank you so much for coming along and joining us and giving us all those wise words of wisdom it's been a pleasure to be here and I hope uh, everyone that's listening that this has been useful to you and if you you want to connect with me on LinkedIn uh, please do I'd love to connect with people all over the world and and share a lot of resources and uh, and things like that and uh, if we can help you a pilot um, you know we would love to do that as well but it's just such a pleasure to kind of be in the right conversation about these things rather than, you know, sort of, I see a lot of the work sucks kind of negativity online. <laughs> um, and, and while that's tempting, right. And I have feelings like that on occasion too, and want to indulge, um, you know, that, that that's a, that's a sugar high, right. You know, you feel good for a short period of time and you crash. Whereas that's I think it. the conversation that you all are having with this podcast, and I thank you for creating it is really about, you know, what can someone do to, to have a, uh, a lifelong career that's that's satisfying and, and meaningful. Wow, thanks, Ben. That episode was such a fascinating journey. You know, I think many people don't associate lots of like fun and interesting career opportunities in human resources, never mind what a critical role they play for your career as you are an employee. So thank you so much for being on the show. Everybody out there still listening to this episode, please hop over to Instagram and follow us at Go Higher Podcast. It would help us and the show grow a lot. And uh, stay tuned because next week on the show, we have got somebody very special, somebody very exciting, and somebody who may or may not work at the Lego Group. As always, gentlewomen, gentlemen, and everybody in between, let's go get it. Thank you.